Welcome to the Experts Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of what it really means to be in the media. Featuring interviews with media stable experts and some of Australia's prominent media. We'll break down some of the myths, the fears, the skills and the knowledge needed to succeed in the media. The Experts Podcast is for the business owner, communicator, PR professional, leader of industry or anyone looking to develop their profile to be a recognised expert. The Experts Podcast is powered by Media Stable. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Experts Podcast. My name's Nick Hayes. I'm Carmen Braidwood. You are Carmen Braidwood. Hi. And thank heavens you are, <laughs> because this is a really tough gig to do it on your own. Yeah, oh, thanks. I'm, I'm glad that uh, I can help you. Oh, no, no, no. With this? No, no, no. I'm only here to help you. Oh, I see. Let's get through. Let's get this straight. <laughs> you're, the, you're the boss of this program. Oh, I love um, it. Carbs, international affairs, what's yeah. going on in the Ukraine? There's a lot going on around the globe, really. Uh, around the globe. And, you know, we've even got a US election not too far away in the in the distant future. And, uh, and gee, that is one troubled country, the old USA. I, I can't get it half the time. Yeah. I, I really am confused. I thought we saw and, you know, said goodbye to Trump, but, you know, he could be on the march back. Yeah, it all requires a little decoding, simplification sometimes, so we can feel rest assured that we have a fair handle of what's going on. Oh, and look, what better person to have a chat to than <laughs> the Associate Professor in International Relations at RMIT University. He's a Fulbright scholar, he's an author, he's a researcher and he has a PhD. <laughs> Hello Associate Professor Aidan Warren. Hi, how are you? How are you both going? Oh, I'm very good. Can I call you doctor for the rest of this uh, podcast? Because uh, it's uh, well, he is one. Well, yes, he is, and uh, it's a it's a lot of words, a lot of words for a title. Aiden, <laughs> uh, uh, doctor, we um, it is all about uh, U.S. politics and everything along the lines of what's going on over there. Uh, you've done a lot of media in in recent times and it just hasn't been about uh, the Ukraine uh, and US elections what's it been what 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 is it your actual expertise and what is it that you deliver to the media when they come asking the questions look it's some you know multifaceted sort of grouping or, or pillars that I look at I mean obviously I look at international relations in a broad context US politics domestic politics particularly in relation to to the election, U.S. foreign policy, but also what what I refer to, what we refer to as international security issues, which relate to war, conflict, nuclear weapons, so Iran, North Korea, and of course anything to do with drones and and those other and, and artificial intelligence and cyber. So they're kind of my core domains, I suppose, is U.S. politics, international relations, international security are probably the three areas that I. I look at so you just have to always be on top of things. You just always have to be reading. You always have to be scoping out what's going on and just making sure you have a good, a, a good um, suite of go-to sources to always go to. So, what made you decide it would be a good idea for you to start sharing this insight to the media? Look, there's many different reasons, but I mean, obviously, you feel that there is a responsibility. You feel you want to get your message out there. You feel you want to build legitimacy. I mean, obviously, you can just roll along in academia, teach and swan around campus and do the occasional book. Those days are kind of gone, I would argue. They've they've diminished competitive environment. And so you have to be doing things that are meaningful, not just for your students, um, but also just the general population, informing people, making a difference, trying to keep people, particularly in an age of 
you know, the post-truth age, and I still believe we are in a post-truth age, that we really need to keep people informed and really just make sure that there's not all this, um, you know, crazy misinformation that that, can, that is out there. So that's the main thing I want to do is to get myself out there, get my message out there, but also just mitigate any sort of bad things that can that are out there, given the fact that there is a lot of, as I, as I alluded to, misinformation. I love what you just said there about the, you know, the change for academics that have, you know, they're not just swanning around campus anymore, writing the occasional book and uh, sort mm. of going through the motions there that traditionally most academics have. And, and uh, Dr. Aidan Warren, we have spoken in the past about a lot of mm. academics that, you know, would probably prefer to write for journals that are seen by 15 or 20 people than necessarily writing an opinion editorial piece for The Age, the Sydney Morning Herald, the Herald Sun, or even appearing on a radio station like 3AW, mm. 2GB, 6PR, they just tend to want to sit within their own circles. And I think that was a really good question you asked there, Carms, mm. about why why do you put yourself out there? Because I think there is a responsibility, uh, Doctor. I think you do have it. You see and hear and are studying everything that's going on here. We need, as the public, as the consumer, to understand what is really going on? How do we break this all down? Well, you're exactly right. And as I allude to, we are, we are in the post-truth age. It's misinformation. And we're at a seismic point. We're in an age of crisis. Mm-hmm. We're coming two and a half years of, of, of the pandemic. That is just split, you know, most Western societies d- down the middle. And, of course, US being the case point, but also here and also in the UK and also in Europe, and of course, there's there's just a whole range, of, and then you've of course been reassert, reinformed, or re re-emphasized, I should say, with Ukraine and Russia, which again is you know it's not just a conflict; it's going to have reverberations. I believe will go on five, ten years. So this is a seismic shift. We need information that you know well well resourced, or, or well understood, or well researched, or, or or based on facts. And, and not just based on sort of narratives and just ideology. So it's a really crucial time. This is a massive juncture in international relations. I'm not just saying there's a soundbite. Um, it, it really is. I, I think that what, what is going to happen over the next two or three years, I mean, it's really going to be difficult to, 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 to uh, I suppose, um, how do I say this? Difficult to really unpack. And, and we're going to, and we're going to need concise minds and concise thinkers out there giving their message. Yeah, look, we're all going to the polls soon. We've all got opportunities to exercise our democratic rights. So the more expert advice we can get, the better. And I do want to talk a bit about which media you've had and what that was like to give people insight. But to stick with academia for a second, are there any other areas of of academia that you think also have a responsibility to share some of this knowledge that they're accumulating, you know, which is taxpayer-funded? a lot of the time too, mm. by the way. So, you know, wh- wh- where do you see a gap for academics to step up and start joining the conversation on a mass scale rather than just in those academic journals? Oh, look, I mean, it's, it's right across the board, as you allude to. I mean, obviously in, in the radio, via radio, via, you know, newspapers, writing writing opinion pieces, but also getting out to schools, getting out to the communities. I mean, I'd make an effort to try and get out to schools and get out to other universities and also get out to, you know, speaking to alumni groups and so forth, people who, who aren't in academia but, you know, are over 50, 50 or 60 years old. So mm-hmm. I think that's one, one area. But also just getting into, you know, you find a lot of academics, particularly under the age of 40, are really um, trying to build up their, their I suppose, 
their reputation mm. um, by uh, Twitter is massive now with academics. Um, at least on the age of forty, I mean, m- not really much so with face, face, um, Facebook and and other mediums, but and LinkedIn also was another one. But really, obviously, publications, book publications, journals still matter. But of course, getting out there and getting on, getting into the media and really conveying your message and conveying your understanding and dealing with facts. And remember, I cannot emphasize you what this what, what this era has led to in the, in the sense that we've just moved away from facts. We used to, whether you're conservative or, or not conservative, even 10 years ago, there was generally a core core grouping of facts that people agreed upon, and that's kind of gone out the window. So there's a whole range of things that academics need to be doing. And, and I'm not saying academics are the only spokes, you know, the spokespeople, but they need to be contributing to that to that narrative. I, I, it is incredible, really, when you just on that the the facts, and when you've got in your field of excellence there, Aiden, the U.S. politics. When you've got a a former president that used to just say fake news, he just used to say anyone that disagreed with him, just anything that didn't go his way, he just said you know the big fake news got a blanket, industry. Didn't it? Mm. He, he he just disagree with it and this is you're right it's so critical that we have people at the moment that are breaking this down properly because uh when you've got someone as popular as donald trump was and Mm. has now exited but is likely to come back he's building on that he is building on the fact that he can actually wipe out facts he can wipe out and not have to explain anything any Mm. evidence give any evidence as to why he's got i mean you just see what the guy's doing now He's just going to play the game the way that he wants it. We've got to hold him to account. And I think, you know, you've got a responsibility there, Aidan, but also, too, more importantly, it's got to be good for your profile. It's got to be good for you as an academic, as someone as part of RMIT, that you're the person that they go to, not necessarily the university down the road. Oh, most certainly. I mean, you want to try and be an authority in, in, on the actual discipline, on the area, on the topic at hand. You don't obviously have to be the, the leading person, but you really want to be someone who's got legitimacy. And so you still need to publish. You still need to teach well because that's important too. A lot of academics try to move away from the, the teaching and lecturing, lecturing because they just want to concentrate on their research. I think it's important to do everything. You need sure. to be yourself out there. You need to be doing the teaching, but of course, it is good to be out there for the university. The university does like it. The university puts a lot of emphasis on it. And so it's also good for the university's branding that you're out there, obviously conveying a message in a clear fashion, fashion particularly in this age, as, as you pointed out, the age of Trump. We are, we are not out of the Trump age because no. a lot of leaders take a page out of the Trump book, if you will, you know, in terms of deflection and denying information scomo does it regularly and other other leaders do too so it's up to us among other people in the community to keep these people account or take accountable and 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 of course um adhering to that there is a core fact at, at hand that's really valuable insight for any academics who might be listening who are fearful that maybe the university mightn't want them to speak out. But the fact is it's good for the university. They're a commercial entity. Absolutely. They need that exposure and the responsibility is it goes hand in hand. I think there's been a shift in change. and It was, it was about a decade ago that universities started to realise that um, – 
if they get their academics, if they get their uh, leaders within their university mm. in the mainstream media, it's the best publicity they can put out there yeah. to attract students and also to funding to the institutions that they're actually working for. Universities are starting to realise that their people are their best assets. Yeah. And, you know, oh, wow, you know. Who would have thought? Business has known this for years, but, uh, you know, they they still are reluctant. Now, Aidan, tell me a little bit about your first television experience because I've got it down here in my notes, in my research, because I am quite the academic. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Don't you laugh so hard there, Carms. Um, But uh, is it true that your first television piece was with Darren Hinch on Sky Television? It was. I mean, obviously, it's, it was just, you know, I mean, television news can be harrowing. Um, obviously, radio is a lot more easier. But, yeah, it was. I mean, like, obviously, you're sitting, you know, in a very bright studio. Obviously, you, you can't refer to a few little notes here and there. You have mm-hmm. to see. And then, of course, you, you you are you can see yourself on all around the studio. But, look, you're just going to be yourself and just answer the question. But you do have that split second um, yeah, yeah, I've had those couple of those split seconds where you're actually thinking, oh my God, I'm speaking to, you know, Darren Hinch or Carl Stefanovic or someone like that. And, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And, <laughs> um, and, and, and you really do have these sort of bizarre, you know, momentary flashes like, I hope I don't panic. But then you just get rolling and just be yourself and you just try not to overthink things. And, and just one, one, probably the best tip is just keep, keep talking. Um, don't get caught. <laughs> Stop, start, sort of, uh, otherwise you do get conscious of what you're saying, which obviously you need to be conscious. But, um, yeah, no, Darren, Darren Hinch was the first one, and that was really, really a, uh, you know, an eye-opener for me. And there's been a couple others too. Well, that's the thing. What you've hinted at there is when you keep talking, your muscle memory kicks in, you've got expertise that your brain knows how to draw in. It's going to help you out if maybe there's a risk that the other part of your body is freaking out mildly. You might be getting nervous. You might be getting sweaty hands. You might be distracted by the bright lights and all those things you've mentioned. Our brains are so good at getting us through that tough situation. So from a performance perspective, you know, you you handled that beautifully. I'm just dying to know what was Hinch like. (laughs) He was really good. He was really friendly. I had a chat to him beforehand. And then we chatted. We obviously discussed, obviously, um, and that was the lead up to the 2000. Actually, that was the lead up. That was in 2015. So we were discussing wow. Hillary and the fact that, would you know, is she or isn't she going to win the White House? Well, at that wow. stage, Trump was getting momentum. He was knocking over his Republican counterparts. And people remember when Trump first started out with 18 Republicans when he was going for nomination, people laughed at him. But then he gradually knocked over Jeb Bush and, and he knocked over little Marco Rubio and he was just knocking them over one by one. And next thing you know, so we discussed the possibility of that, but we probably dodged it at a time and, and we're more focused on what Hillary will be like. So that was a really interesting conversation. Um, and I think a lot of people did think that at the time, to be honest. Well, it just shows the experts get it wrong. Um, even you know, mm-hmm. looking at you were looking at a, Hillary as a an obvious choice, and I think that particular, not just that campaign, mm. uh, a lot of and even the Australian federal campaign at that particular time went the, the complete opposite way as oh, well. Yeah. Um, it's it's amazing. But um, when you do put your position out there, uh, Aidan, is it? I know that you've got a political persuasion yourself. I mean, you're biased and you're in everyone's bias Everyone in a way. Is. is that does that come into play with your commentary? Uh, are you able to 
separate yourself from the the reading of the play and and deliver that information in a way that it doesn't have the bias that you personally might have? Oh, most certainly. I, I don't think it's that hard. I mean, obviously it helps if you know who you're talking to, if you're talking to a Triple M versus an ABC. I mean, you, you know there's certain things that you can... I don't mean slant your politics, but slant your the detail or mm-hmm. or cultivate detail. You, you're speaking to a different audience, and I don't mean any one audience is one way or another. I'm just saying, yeah, you do, but you concentrate on the facts again. You concentrate on the issues, what you know, and you do give both sides. I mean, I I, I had this plenty of times over the last five six years when I, you know, said Trump was looked like he was going to win, or he was doing this, or I know what he's doing, or what he's in the context of North Korea or maybe in, in the context of the South China Sea, there were some positives that he did. You know, I would argue, albeit, you know, I didn't always agree with, but there were some things in terms of his policy that, that I could understand where he was coming from, although he was quite varied. He was really hard to read. And as we all know, he was quite erratic in his policy. I'm not talking about his behaviour. He's, he's actually policy execution. But that was really I, – I would just talk to people how I see it um, and try not to get into rant and try not to get into and answer the question mm. and give your view question in a, as balanced a fashion as you can. You know what I mean? That's how I would generally approach um, all, all, all interviews, whether it be on the radio or, or t- TV um, and so forth. I've been following your interviews for the last seven odd years and, uh, and that is precisely what you actually do. Um, you do deliver the content in a, in a fashion that is very in controlled. Um, it's, whether it's there's a heightened issues of war or whatever that might be, you've you've got everything under control, and I think you give a sense of uh, confidence to the people mm. that are listening, and and they sense that you know what you're on about because you are not ranting and raving. And I think you know what we see in U.S. politics. There's a lot of raving and ranting mm. going on, and, it, and that's not just from the politicians; it's also from the media as well. Yeah. How do you keep that under? I mean, I'm not saying you keep it under wraps there, but how how do you keep control of the way that you deliver your content? Because I think for many academics, and we hope that many more academics will put their hands up to say, "Look, yep, you know what? I need to get out there and do this." Mm. But how do you deal with that kind of pressure to 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 deliver that information, but deliver it in a fair and controlled and and a, and a way that people can actually understand it? Well, look, it's a good question. There's a lot going on in that question. I mean, really the what I try to do is just make sure I have have the information before me. I look at a range of sources, and I do kind of try and give both sides of the equation. But I, there will be a slight angle if I think something is inherently wrong. Um, but what I try to do is I not try to get lazy in, in referring to someone in a, in a critical, like going personal. I don't play the, the individual necessarily. Mm-hmm. I try and play through the policy, the direction. Um, like the old saying, don't don't play the man, play the ball. As you know, to use the football parlay, and and I really try to keep it on that level. Although with Trump, it was always difficult because he was so bombastic and <laughs> and he and reality was so big. And I could use words like that, but they weren't necessarily critical words. I was just he was bombastic. He was off the charts. He was on, you know, on um, how do I say, off the chain at times. And he would be the first to acknowledge that. But you can convey it in a way. That is still measured, still factual. Looking at both sides, and there's plenty of times when I've, you know, when I would say Hillary's in trouble, or like I can say it now, Biden is in trouble. Do I prefer Biden and Trump? Of course I do, but Biden is in deep trouble. 
um, deep trouble. He, he's obviously going to be a placeholder. He's going to hand over the reins to Harris. I, I, get, I get my own data from people I know in D.C. He's about 20% chance of going again. And look, he's had some really big stuff-ups. Afghanistan was a massive stuff-up. I like Biden, but that was a stuff-up, and I'm happy to convey that to an audience. Yeah, so what I'm hearing there is you're, you're sharing genuine insight. It's it's real stuff. It's fact. You've got evidence to support it. But your delivery, without being ranting and raving, is still passionate and still entertaining. You know, at the end of the day... With we, an opinion. With, we have an opinion that has still got a bit of entertainment factor to it. So you, you sort of found ways with your language to stop it being boring. That kind of helps, don't you think? Um, most certainly. I mean, you know, you have to. And look, I always ask if I'm doing a radio interview, or I'm, you know, I'm better at asking these questions. How long are you, am I going to speak for? If someone wants to speak for, you know, thirteen to fifteen minutes. I know I can stretch out of my answers if they want. If they, if I've got three to five minutes, I know I've got to be really short, snappy, and then I've got to throw in what, who am I speaking to? If it's a, you know, Triple M or it's a Fox, you know, obviously they want you know clear, short, sharp, snappy, five minutes. If I've got, you know, some stations, you know, want me to talk for 15 to 18 minutes, I can really, and of course, they really want to get into the intricate policy. So I, I, I think it's really important to ask those questions just quickly. You just ask, how long do you want me to speak for? What areas do you want me to cover? I never used to ask that. And, and every now and then you would get a question that would be a real, you know, would be really, you, you, you really, you weren't across. Mm. So I think it's important uh, you want to cover. Yeah, I, I love that. You've been very well trained, uh, Dr. Aidan Warren. And uh, <laughs> It doesn't mean naughty presenters won't just ask you random questions that follow their curiosity. I'll admit that I've definitely done that to a few experts over the years. <laughs> but to get to your point, to get to your point though, Carmen, about boring, because I, mm. I, I, you know what? How many academics have you heard in the past? And, I, and I, you've, you've interviewed a lot mm. over your time. And I've, as a, a media monitoring in the media monitoring industry, I, I actually can, it, it almost is like, you know, your nails going down a chalkboard mm. um, because it just is so boring and aggravating to listen to. And I think, you know, that's a challenge for academics because they aren't traditionally good communicators. Uh, they're good with their students maybe or their peers, mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily uh, communicate well with the general public or maybe someone who's a couple of levels down, you know, the pegging uh, of intelligence level. I mean, that yeah. is a challenge. Are you conscious of that, Aidan? Are you conscious of that when you're communicating that you you really – I mean, you've, you've already said that you've, you understand the audience, but mm. is it something that you you really t- take the time and effort to, to make sure it is right? Oh, look, I mean, I'm always thinking about that. I mean, it's, it's important to engage. I mean, engaging the audience. I think it's because I also, you know, worked in the commercial sector and before I got into academia, I'm not like a traditional academic, academic in the sense that I went straight from, you know, school, university, PhD, and then in academia. So, are you, wearing, are you wearing a cardigan right now? <laughs> no, but I. There, thank you. Good. Oh, well, you're not, it's not <laughs> traditional. <laughs> right. Look, I mean, but look, I think that also there's a new new um, grouping of uh, up and coming academics which are very savvy, which which are, you know, they're in their thirties and they and they are quite savvy when it comes to technology and and and, and it's really improving in terms of cutting across all those mediums. But look, no doubt, uh, you you really just have to, uh, from my point of view, I think my background has helped me a lot. I think the fact that I've 
you know, come from, I've, I've mixed with lots of different people over the years, whether they're football clubs or, you know, obviously in the commercial sector and, and all, all, all different parts of the world. So I think that that's helped as opposed to just being locked in that, that sort of, or being that, being sort of moribund in that um, uh, academic bubble. So I think that's helped out in the way that I convey and convey and present myself. But look, there's always things I'm trying to, to work on. And you, and again, you, there's some, you know, media networks that are very challenging to talk to. They do ask very intricate questions and they're those who just want to know what's going on. So you just got to, it's important to know a little bit about who you're talking to, I think. Mm. It all comes back down to audience and, and the same as you might as a, as a lecturer think, all right, you know, this is my first year undergraduates that I'm speaking to. You would tailor your content to suit those people. And there's a little old saying we use in radio is to assume the audience are six years old. We're not underestimating them. We're simply admitting that when you're on radio, you're competing with about 10 other things for your audience members' attention. So you do need to simplify the language just a little bit so that you can cut through. Yeah. Most certainly. I mean, it is. It is about that. It is about communicating, keeping it clear, keeping the message um, how do I say this? Not overly complex because you can go into all sorts of different tangents, particularly with something like Ukraine and Russia. I mean, you can go into all sorts of tangents, but just keeping, you know, the message clear and just giving, particularly if, they, if they're just wanting to know what is happening at the moment in the Ukraine, as opposed to a week, or a week ago in the Ukraine. It's just about going through four or five points in a clear fashion. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to bombard them with too much, and mm. at the same time, um, you want to give them enough content and enough information to walk away going, "I'm satisfied. I've got enough." Yeah, I put some value on the table there. Correct. Yeah. Now, um, I want to have a chat to your colleagues, Dr. Adam Warren. Mm. I want to have a chat because academics are not as I, I, I won't say they're, they're they're not as prominent as what they possibly should be within media we've sort of discussed a little bit about their reluctance to do it um, many moons ago we had dr Catherine shine on the the podcast she is the head of journalism at Curtin University mm. and one of her big goals is to bring more female academics into the mix we don't hear a lot from female academics it seems to be a very male dominated space are you conscious of that do you see that or is it what does what does the the communications department at the university do do they encourage to get more females males or is it just academics generally it's not gender based or gender bias at all Look, there may be that statistic. I, I'm seeing a lot more. I'm seeing a lot of um, women from our area get into the media. I mean, but of course, if, if the statistics still point to the, the you know, there being a gender bias, that, that also wouldn't surprise me. Um, there could be a whole range of things. I mean, obviously, you know, particularly in, as some areas in the university are still male-dominated, whether it be engineering or science and and sort of those sorts of areas are still male-dominated. I'd say our area is pretty equal um, in terms of, you know, the, the social sciences, political science, IR domain. Um, security, the international security in terms of war and that is probably still skewed towards male. I can't really give a reason as to why, apart from stating the obvious, that, that maybe there's a... I don't... I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't think media outlets would have a preference to, to speak to males. But maybe it could be just a you know obviously thing that's starting to change and 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 you're gonna I think you will we will be seeing more 
women in the media. I don't really notice that imbalance as much, at least in in, in uh, my area. But um, I, I I think it's always an area that can be improved upon, and we need to see more more women and and women from all sorts of backgrounds speaking about all sorts of issues, particularly in terms of international relations and international security. The thing I've heard from a female academic before, and it speaks to the same trait that women tend to have, say, when they're asked to take or apply for a job, is that we tend to say, oh, I'm not really 100% qualified. Why don't you talk to this person instead? There's a lot of that that goes on in the female psyche that doesn't seem to happen to men. Men will simply go, oh, yeah, sure, let me do it. Give them five minutes with me. I'm an expert on everything. And if I'm not, I'll find out, I'll do my research and I'll become that. Spot on. And to be honest, I've always felt the same way. I don't don't typically have that trait. I've always gone, yeah, sure, give me a crack at that job. I'll do it. Well, as a broadcaster, you have to be a little bit of know a bit about everything. that's right. You might not be deep in it, but Mm. you have to know everything, a little bit of everything, because otherwise the conversations that you're having with the experts and commentators, you you won't go very far. That's why I do often remind my female clients in the confidence on camera space, I will say, listen, if people are asking you for expert advice, just accept that in their eyes, you are the expert. Yeah, And step up, give it. Dr. Aidan Warren, we've only got a couple of minutes left and I've got to ask you some very pertinent questions Um, because I think as an academic and and particularly in your space, are we going to see Donald Trump come back and is he going to win? Look, I, I will say that I and, I, and I know I've talked to a couple of people about this, I've said it to students already. I can see, look, I, I can see things lining up, the ducks lining up slowly. Um, there's a reason, and I'm not, and I'm being not just trying to be alarmist, um, I'm, I'm seeing it as a, a fact. Uh, I think that it'll be happening in stages. So, what's happening at the moment, I said this from the get go if Biden has a 6.5 out of 10 term in office, 7 out of 10, I think it'll be very gettable in 2024. Um, but, it, but, in, but in stepping back a little bit, uh, this is why I think Donald Trump will not only run in 2024, but will win. First and foremost, the ducks are lining up. I think there's been, I think the Ukraine crisis is going to really start to be a crown of thorns for, for Biden. I think that he will lose both houses in, in November. Remember, he's only marginally holding on to those. So it's not going to be, not the first time I will argue that an incumbent hasn't been smashed during the first um, midterm elections. We, we can go to Clinton, Bush and, and Obama and they've been able to bounce back. But I think he'll lose both houses. But I don't think he will run in 2024. I've asked people, I always ask people, give me a percentage. What percentage do you reckon? You know, I'm getting 15, 20% wow. that he'll run against 2024. I think, and Trump, I hate to say this, and this, but, but I will say it, and this is what I'm not by. He does have the energy. Yeah. He has yeah. the energy and he will run again and I think he'll knock over Harris. Uh. In, and there's a lot of talk that Harris might be might not even get the nomination, which which in itself will look bad for the Dems. I know I'm answering this in long-winded fashion, but so I think it'll be personally Harris, Trump. I think Trump will win 2024, so hold on. And I'm not just saying that flippantly. Well, we've got it on record here now on the Experts Podcast, Carmen. We all know what the headline will be. Oh, my. <laughs> and and, it is, and it, it is a prediction and also to professional commentary from yeah. an academic that works in this space and it's not biased by it any means. has the conversations, as he keeps pointing out. And has the conversations. Dr. Aidan Warren, a real pleasure to have you on the Experts Podcast. And, and the reason more so, not just to express yourself and what you do and through the university that you work for, the RMIT, in Melbourne, um, 
but a real call out to all academics. Yeah. Be yeah, brave. Definitely. Be brave. Um, know that you can do it. And, and if, if you're an academic out there, please follow Dr. Aidan Warren in his pathway. He hasn't done this overnight. He's done this over a period of years, seven, eight years now, mm. and has done extremely well in communicating and connecting. And I think now, you know, you're almost a go-to person for anything in your space uh, for media generally just because of the time that you've spent in there. And mm. I think put yourself out there and do it. I, I just – big call out to academics – Get in there, put your hand up and uh, and start working with the media. Yeah, you're not making it about you. There are a lot of bigger reasons to do this than that. Uh, really great to chat to you. Thanks, Aidan. No worries there, Carmen. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Aidan. And, and before we go, uh, if people want to get in contact with you, how do they do that? Look, they can obviously email me. They can um, contact me via Twitter. They can also look me up on LinkedIn. It's Aidan Warren, A-I-D-E-N, Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N. I'm really easy to find. And I'll be happy to talk to anyone. Well, well done. Thank you, Aidan. And thank you, Carms. Another great uh, edition of the Experts Podcast. Yeah, we'll come back soon, hey? Look forward to seeing you next week. And we look forward to having you, uh, with us being in your ears next week when we talk to another expert and another media. We'll see you then. You've been listening to the Experts Podcast, powered by Media Stable. If you'd like to get in contact with the team, head to mediastable.com.com dot au